All right, here we are, uh, Understanding Your Religion, the seven major doctrines that define the Christian faith, or that define Christianity. This is lesson number four in that series. And within the series itself, we're looking at the doctrine of inspiration. This is the third part of that uh, lesson. And the title of this particular section is Six Proofs of Inspiration. So in our series uh, so far, we have covered several areas related to the history of the making of the Bible uh, itself. And these include the following. Uh, we looked at the history of writing itself and uh, we said that this was important because there was a time when skeptics denied the uh, the authorship of many uh, of the writers of the Bible because they said in ancient times there was no writing. It had not been a, a skill that had been developed and of course we know uh, that that is not so. I mean scientifically, historically we know that that is not so today. Then we looked at the actual history of bookmaking and uh, said that there was some significant advancements that were made in uh, bookmaking. And the reason we were looking at this is because we're examining the text itself. The Bible is a book, so it's normal to study the history of writing, history of bookmaking. Uh, said that the codex form, you know, when, when, books, when, when writing materials went from scrolls to actual books, that was an, you know, really a, a, a big break, you know, an advancement in technology of that era. The printing press, of course, uh, we could multiply the number of Bibles and materials that could be um, distributed. And then today, of course, we're living in the age of the internet, uh, which is, the, I think, the, just the greatest uh, technological advancement. We can, we can speak to the whole world at once today. I mean, technically, it's, it's, it's possible. We can speak to the whole world at once. There are things that happen you know, on the internet that billions of people have access to immediately. And so it has its uses uh, in a negative way, of course. You know, there are 25 million porn sites, you know, of course. But it also has its positive uses. We can reach into so many places now with the gospel that we couldn't before simply because we can get there through the internet. So a significant advancement there. And then we looked at how the Old Testament was formed and how it was, um, uh, how it was divided. Um, and that was important because uh, we said that 400 years, 400 years BC, um, we already had the canon of the Old Testament. In other words, the books of the Old Testament were already collected and recognized into one document, if you wish, one, one book, one collection of documents by 400 BC. So what we're reading today, uh, what we call the Old Testament, existed in its present form uh, 400 years before Christ. And what Jesus and the apostles were using, were quoting from, uh, had already been collected and recognized into an official canon by that time. And you know, we looked at how it was divided. The, the uh, Jews uh, divide, divided the material differently than we do today, but it was the same material. That's the point that we were, uh, that we were looking at. And what was the, cr uh, the criteria? Uh, we go from uh, the Old to the New Testament. We looked at that. And the idea there in the New Testament especially was what was the criteria? A lot of material was floating around, a lot of stories about Jesus, a lot of people writing uh, material uh, at that time. And so there, we, we looked at what was the criteria 
uh, for a book to be included in the New Testament uh, canon. We said that it had to be written by an apostle or the associate of an apostle. Um, the value and the integrity of the book itself, was it sound theologically, historically, did it mesh with all the other materials? And uh, most importantly, the point that I made about this, about the collecting of the 27 books of the New Testament, um, the people who did this did not just go out and look for books. They recognized the books that had been circulating for centuries and had been accepted by the church and used by the church and confirmed by the church for many, many years. Uh, what they did was simply collect those into the New Testament canon, the 27 books uh, that we have in the uh, New Testament. So I said that by the year 367 AD, and that sounds like a long time, you know, three centuries uh, somewhat after Christ, but in those days that was not a very long time in the sense that it took decades for things to get, to what we do in a day took many, many years uh, in those days, obviously because of communication issues, travel issues, so on and so forth. But by 367 AD, the entire Bible as it is now organized was accepted as the authoritative word of God. So what we're reading today is what they were reading 17 plus centuries ago. No, no books have been added, nothing has been, nothing has been changed. As I said, no additions or changes have been made since then. And whether people agree or not on the contents, there is no disagreement that the 66 books in this volume make up the Bible and has done so for you know, 1700, 1800 uh, years. Of course, the ones who don't accept that are you know, Muslims and Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and usually when you talk to them about the Bible, their main argument is that it was corrupted somehow. Somehow it was corrupted and it's not really the Bible. Uh, what they have is really what uh, God says. Their prophet, their modern day prophet, uh, is the one that brings the uh, final, uh, the final uh, word from God. So the last question that we have is this. Why do we believe that this book that we've been talking about for several weeks, how it was formed and how it was you know, gathered and so on and so forth, why is it that we as Christians believe that this book is inspired by God? That's the first major doctrine. You know, I said there are seven major doctrines. The first major doctrine that we're looking at is the inspiration of the Bible. Why do we believe that the Bible is inspired? Well, we believe and we can show that it is an old book we can show that it's a book recorded by certain people, but how do we know that it is a book given to us by God Himself? All right, so we open a new file, and the new file is this. There are six different proofs that indicate that this book is inspired. So now we move from the history of the book and how it was collected into the actual proofs or arguments for the very first major doctrine, which is the inspiration of the Bible. Well proof number one is that the Bible itself claims to be inspired. Nobody just reads the Bible and says, wow, I, I think this book is inspired. It, it, it's not just a logical deduction. The Bible actually says this about itself in different places. I mean think now for a second. Doesn't it seem natural that an inspired book would claim this 
about itself. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament takes this idea, you know, that it's inspired. The Old Testament takes this idea for granted since it continually describes dialogue between God and man. Let's remember we said, you, know, you, you look at the Old Testament, you open the Old Testament, you open in Genesis, you open chapter one in Genesis, and how does it begin? In the beginning, God. So it just assumes, you know, the first couple of words assumes that there is a God and God is doing this and God is telling man what to do. So the Old Testament doesn't have a chapter that argues for the inspiration of the Bible. It just assumes it. Okay? The New Testament states this idea, however, in different ways. For example, in Matthew chapter 10 it says, but when they hand you over, Jesus is saying this to his apostles, he says, but when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So what is Jesus telling them here? You'll be attacked, you'll have problems, you know, so on and so forth when you're preaching and teaching my word, because that's the command he gives them, right? Preach the gospel, teach them to obey all things that I've commanded you, that's his word. And what does he say to them? Don't worry about when you're, you know, when you're brought up to court, when you're challenged, the Spirit will tell you what to say. So in, in one way, Jesus here is saying, you will be inspired. God will give you the words that you need at the proper time. So Jesus told them that the content of what they would say would come from God. And this, of course, counters the idea that the Bible is only man talking. You know, some people say, oh, that's just men, you know, Jews you know, in the first century, they wrote it. Well, not according to Jesus. The Bible doesn't say this about itself. So if it's only man, then Jesus and the apostles were liars. You can't have it both ways. You can't have Jesus as your Lord and then call him a liar for telling the apostles that God would inspire them to speak at the proper time. You, know, you, you, you can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. Uh, in another place, let's read John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus again says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. First he commands them to, 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 to teach the church okay, to obey everything that he's taught them. I don't know if, about you, but if I were an apostle at that very moment, I'd, I'd be happy in one sense, oh, the Lord is risen, that's great. Oh, he's given me something to do. I need to go out and preach. But that part about, and teach them to obey all things I have commanded you. Listen, I got trouble remembering what I preached two weeks ago. You know, if someone were to say, go ahead and recite from memory what you preached two weeks ago, I couldn't do it. Could you imagine an ordinary man trying to remember what Jesus taught them for three years and to remember it accurately? So Jesus is kind of you know, helping them to accept the challenge by saying, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will bring into your remembrance everything that I said to you. So this speaks to the how. How were the apostles inspired? How did they speak directly from God? Well, they were directed by the Holy Spirit. Apostles recorded the teachings and the actions of Jesus over a three-year period 
without error, without contradiction, and this was done with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, the idea of inspiration is that it's a miraculous thing, and John records that the Holy Spirit, He's the one that made the miracle happen, like He said that He would. You know, he gave other people gifts, right? We read about some could speak in tongues, some could do healings, others you know, had knowledge, uh, and so on and so forth, right? The Spirit gave gifts. Well, the gift that He gave to the Holy Spirit was to bring them into remembrance, the miraculous gift, all the things that Jesus uh, taught them. Let's look at another passage. We're just going through the New Testament here to see all the different people, the different ways that God has put forth the idea that the writings in the New Testament are inspired by God. A familiar passage, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, when people say, you know, I got trouble with, uh, uh, let's say, Genesis, the first couple of chapters of Genesis, because it talks about creation, six days. I don't know about that. I mean, the rest of the Bible, good. You know, I, I, I get it, the prophets, Jesus. You know, but you know, I think I can accept everything except the creation part because it just quote goes against modern science, which of course is never wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Never wrong, modern science. Well, instead of going into a big long harangue about you know, arguing every single point of Genesis, which you can do if you, if you wish, um, I go to 2 Timothy 3.16 and I said, uh, what, do, what does the first word of that sentence say? It says, all scripture, not some scripture, not the stuff that looks inspired. It says, all scripture. And of course, at the time that Paul is writing this, he's referring to what? He's referring to what we, we consider the Old Testament because the New Testament had not all been written yet. So all scripture is inspired by God. Some try to eliminate the creation account, as I said, in Genesis, or the accounts of miracles because of modern scientific skepticism, but the Bible says that it is fully inspired, not partially inspired. Does that mean we understand every single thing in the Bible, or that we can reconcile all the difficult passages with, quote, science? No. I don't understand. Plenty that I don't understand. I mean, just how does the Spirit of God indwell a human being. How does that work? I don't know. I don't know the metaphysics or the mechanics of how a spirit, a divine spirit, inhabits a human body. How does that work? I don't know. It's one of the things that I accept by faith. So there's plenty of things that I accept simply by faith because I don't have the understanding to work it all out as an equation. The Bible simply says, or 2 Timothy simply says, don't worry, Mike, all scripture is inspired. And you know, one of the reasons we come to Bible class is, is what? Well, to expand our understanding and our knowledge of the scriptures. Okay, one other scripture here in the New Testament, 2 Peter. Peter is saying, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. How, ma how many scriptures are a matter of one's own interpretation? None. Zero. Zero. For no prophecy 
And here prophecy is not just pre prediction of the future. Prophecy is spoken, spoken by God. Okay? No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. No prophet. Isaiah never got up in the morning and said, you know, this is a good day. It'd be a good day to write something. Let's see, suffering. What goes with the word suffering? Servant. Oh, that's good, suffering servant. I think I'm going to write a little poem about that. No. What, is, what does Isaiah say? I was in the spirit, or the spirit came upon me. Right? So no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And that word moved there is a Greek word and, and it, it, it's a picture word. And the picture is you have a boat, a sailboat, and that sailboat is moved by the wind. So you have to have a boat and you have to have sails, but without the wind that boat just lays there in the water. It has no way to move. The wind is what moves it. Right. So he's saying men were moved by God to speak, or by the Spirit, to speak from God. So the Bible says that the Bible was never man's idea and it was never written by his impulse or man's intelligence. God chose which men to write and selected what they would write. So the Bible says that it is not just a book about religion written by pious men, but the very communication between God and man. So listen, a person can choose not to believe that the Bible is inspired. I mean, that's up to you. You, you can not believe that if you want to. You can even, you know, if you're famous and you're a writer and whatever, you can even write an article for a magazine or a newspaper you know, claiming you don't believe the Bible, you don't think it's inspired. You, know, you, you can do that if you want, but the thing that you cannot do, you cannot deny that this is what the Bible says about itself. So you don't have to accept it, but if you read it and someone says to you, what does the Bible say about itself? The conclusion is, well, it says about itself that it comes from God. That's what it says about itself. You can reject that, but you can't reject the idea that that's what the Bible says. Just like the Bible talks about Jesus. You don't have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You can reject that. Many have. Many still do. But you can't say that that's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about Jesus. Okay? All right. So when considering the idea of inspiration, the question is often asked, how does God inspire people to write the Bible? Several theories about exactly how God moved men to write the scriptures. How did He do it? So I just want to go through a couple of these theories here, popular theories. The first is called the dictation theory. And this theory says that God dictated word per word everything that is in the Bible. It goes on to say that man was unconscious of God's knowledge and simply wrote down the words exactly as was given to them by God. You know, like, we don't do that anymore hardly, but I remember way back when I worked at OC, my, my best friend was the dictaphone. Everybody, everybody remember the dictaphone? Oh, what a wonderful contraption. You know, I get up and get to the office, pick up that little, and had a little clicker on the side there. Uh, uh, please make a note or please send a letter to blah, 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 saying the following. Dear Joe, blah, 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 blah. Sincerely, Mike. OK, next. And I dictate, dictate you know, for an hour, all, all you know, answering stuff. And then I take that little tape and give it to the secretary. And she would, that was the dictaphone. 
So the idea of the dictation theory says that that's what God did with man. He gave him every single word, punk, comma. Remember those of you who ever used one of those? You'd say, dear Joe, comma, open paragraph, blah, 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 capitalized, parenthesis. You know, you'd give all the punctuation along. Same idea here. Now, there's a problem with this theory, and the problem with it is that there are different styles and quality of writing between each author. For example, Isaiah, Isaiah's writing is like Shakespeare. You know, it's very poetic. You can tell that this Isaiah was an educated man. His writing you know, is, is well put together. It's lofty. It's high. Um, if you look at Luke's Greek, for example, you'll notice that his Greek is much more polished than Peter's Greek, because the New Testament was written in the Greek language. Well, Luke was a physician, obviously much more educated, better language skills. Peter was a fisherman, not so much the language skills. He was you know, a working man. And so you see from writer to writer, you see the different levels of writing and skill and language and vocabulary. So the point is this, if God dictated word per word, it would seem that each book would be equal in its composition and its style and its language. Because if he dictated, you know, Peter could write and Isaiah would write at the same level because the dictation comes from God. So that's one of the problems with the dictation theory. Another theory, the thought theory. This theory proposes that God gave the general ideas and principles and then the writers interpreted these in their own words. So this theory says that it's the thought or the general concept that's important. And if some things seem contradictory or difficult, the mistakes belong to the human writers, not to God. Of course, if we admit errors in the details, years, locations, events, how can we have confidence in the general concepts? You know, faithful in little things, faithful in big things. You buy a car you know, and the, the flasher stick falls off after two weeks and the, the radio, the button comes off the radio. You know, those kinds of the threads are starting to pop on the seats. You know. If that's happening in your brand new car, you're kind of afraid, wow, what's going on in the motor and the transmission? You know, if, if, the, if the details are sloppy, how can you have confidence in the, in the big things? God doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't make mistakes in general principles. He doesn't make mistakes in details. An inspired work is perfect from beginning to the end in the general things and in the specific things. So it's hard to trust a work that acknowledges mistakes. Imagine if you say, well, OK, I acknowledge that there are, there are some mistakes in the Bible, but you've got to believe the big picture. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Now, if it's just men writing it, OK, I, I, that's why we say you know, scientists, of course, are, I say it as a joke, are never wrong. Well, we know that that's not so. You know, very well-educated, gifted men and women who work as scientists and you know, researchers and so on and so forth, with all the best intention in the world, make mistakes, don't they? And half the time, right, the things that they discover, how do they discover it? By mistake. <laughs> they make a mistake. 
So to, to say that the Bible was written that way would be to, you know, to say, well, there could be mistakes. Well, maybe Jesus didn't resurrect. Maybe that was a mistake. See what I'm saying? All right, the third uh, one is uh, called verbal inspiration. This theory says that God revealed the true knowledge to the patriarchs and the prophets and the apostles and other Bible writers, and they wrote this information down under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now the reason that each book has different style and polish is the same reason that a particular song may have a different style and polish depending on what instrument you play it on. If you play the Star Spangled Banner on a harp, it'll sound one way. If you play it on a kazoo, it'll sound another way, won't it? And so the reason that pictures, another example of this is, the reason that pictures of the very same object, you know, a bowl of flowers, let's say, or a bowl of fruit, let's say. So let's say you have that, that's your original thing. Now that image is going to look different depending on the materials you use to reproduce it. If you do it in oils, it'll look one way. If you do it in watercolors, again, another way. How about crayons? It's not going to look, it'll be the same object, fruit, bananas, apples, pears, peaches, you know, in a blue bowl, it'll be the same thing, but if you do it with crayons, it's not going to look the same thing as it does in oils. Pencil, what if you take a, a photograph of it? How about if you write a poem about it? You see what I'm saying? So different, the different ways that you express it will give it a different texture, and yet you're still writing about the very same thing, a bowl of fruit. So this is why Peter, as I said, the rough fisherman from Galilee, when he writes, he writes a simple, straightforward account of what happened to Jesus, and he writes through his secretary, Mark. You know, Matthew, Mark, Mark. Mark is Peter's secretary. And if you read Mark and compare it to John, for example, even though we don't know the Greek, like I, I don't know if anyone here can just read from the original Greek, but what I'm saying is that when you, when you read Mark, you can tell it, it's a lot different than the book of John. You know, Mark is, uh, Jesus went here, he did this, he did that, there was a miracle, then he went over here and he did this, and then he had a confrontation over here with these guys, and bing, bang, boom, it's over in 16 chapters. You know, he's dead, he resurrects, go and preach the gospel. You're in, you're out, see you, bye. That's Mark. John, in the beginning there was the word. <laughs> you know, and like the whole first chapter you're wondering, what is he talking about? And the word became flesh and, the fl and dwelt among us. You know, that's not Mark. Mark, you know, he gets to the action right away, you know, like a movie, you know, a lot of movies. You know, the minute the opening credits go, I mean, it's like a car chase with guys shooting at each other. You know, that's how the movie, well, Mark is like that. He just jumps right in. Why? Well, Peter is writing, not John. This is why Luke or Paul, the academically educated men, weave intricate detailed histories of their lives and their teachings in a dozen letters. Have you read Romans lately? Talk about complex. Have you read Ephesians lately? Have you read the first chapter of Ephesians? Wow, how can somebody get so many ideas compacted into one chapter? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, it says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. 
Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. There, in a very compact two verses, Paul explains the idea of verbal inspiration. He says, you know, it's a mystery what even a man thinks, because only a man's spirit, his own, only his inner self, knows what he thinks. Well, in the same way, only God's spirit knows what God thinks. And so he's saying, the things that I'm writing to you, they don't come from the inside of a man, man's spirit. They come from the spirit of God. And so we take the things of God, he says, that God has given us, and us, human beings, we put them into human words so that the spiritual ideas can be translated into human words through us and then given to you. There's a, a great passage uh, for that. So the Holy Spirit guarded the apostles and others from error but he allowed them to write in their own language, in their own style, and with their own conscious personalities. However, the mind, the ideas, the concepts, the commands, the details, the theology, all of this comes from God. So when we say that the Bible is inspired, here's what we mean. First of all, the purpose, the ideas, the knowledge, the direction, the commands, the teachings, the visions, all of this comes from God, all of it. And I've gone through several scriptures that you know, convey this idea. You know, like when Peter says, you know, every prophecy is not uh, of a human mind, but the, the, the spirit you know, providing men with God's thoughts. Secondly, the decision as to who would write and who would write what and when they would write it and when they would write it, all of this also comes from God. Peter just doesn't sit down and say, I think I'll write an inspired epistle today. No. God moves him to write at a particular time for a particular purpose. Number three. The ability to remember, to describe accurately, to include all information necessary was given by God to men through the agency of the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous thing. You know, if someone says, well, how could he do that? Yeah, it's a miraculous thing. It's just like, how did God resurrect the, 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 the young girl you know, from, from the dead? Well, it's a miraculous thing. How did he multiply the bread and the fish? Uh, it's a miraculous thing. How did he change the water into wine? It's a miraculous thing. Well, how did the apostles know what to write? All of the stuff that Jesus taught them after three years, it's a miraculous thing. It's a miracle. It's not a skill. It's a miracle. What we have are skills. What God gives us as gifts are certain skills you know, to minister in one way or another. What they had was a miraculous gift. Number four, the men who actually recorded and collected it wrote according to the language and education and style that they possessed as human beings in the era and in the place that they lived. God did not miraculously give them insight into the 21st century so that they could use words you know, that we use. 
You know, I was watching uh, one of the movies, I think it's uh, AD, you know, the Bible thing that's on TV. I was watching one of them and Pilate, Pilate at some point says to Caiaphas, we need to shut this down. I was thinking, <laughs> really? Who translated that from the, from the Hebrew or from the Latin? I guess he would have spoke Latin being a, a Roman. You know, we got to shut this down. Uh, you know, it's like Jesus and Peter giving each other high fives. You know, come on, guys. You know, come on. Is anybody watching here? Is anybody watching the store about? You know, anyway, the, those are small things. I think it's a good series. I mean, it's, it's a lot better than a lot of stuff that's on TV. You know, that you can't even watch in good conscience. But as far as the Bible is concerned, these men simply wrote with what they had, the language skills and the, the time frame that they, were, that they were in. And yet somehow it's relevant to us 20 centuries later. It's relevant, isn't it? Every single book is relevant to us. I mean, you, the story of the prodigal son. I mean, you could go into the 4th century A.D., the 9th century A.D., the 13th century, the 21st century, or the 50th century A.D., and the story of the prodigal son will still relate, won't it? We have been prodigal sons or daughters, or we have had prodigal sons and daughters. As long as parenting you know, exists, there will exist prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. So we can relate. And I think that that's the miracle, that it was written in such a way that it could, you can relate to it. 20, you can relate to all of it, every little bit of it, 20 centuries later. Just a fascinating, fabulous thing. OK, so let's just summarize. The Bible says that it is from God, but the fact that it claims this is not proof that it does. You know, just because the Bible says so doesn't make it so. However, it is a first step that points us in the direction of believing that it is. The fact that the Bible itself says that it is an inspired book establishes the criteria by which we are to judge it. See what I'm saying? If I, if I were to say, I'm the fastest man in the world, you know, running wise. So from now on, if anybody saw me run, they would say, there goes the fastest man in the world. And, and then they go, well, I'm not so sure about that because I've seen him walk around and I, you know. But if I make that claim about myself, I'm going to be judged by that, right? Same thing. The Bible makes the claim that it is an inspired work and it, and it invites the reader to judge it based on that claim. Okay. So next time we get together, next class, oh, do I have another one? There we go. So next class, we're going to have more evidence for inspiration. I said the six proofs. Whoops. Six proofs. <laughs> the six proofs. So proof number one of the six is that the Bible itself claims that it is inspired. That's proof number one. We're going to move on to proof two, three, four, five, and six, and maybe go a little bit faster uh, as we go through next time. Okay, so that's our lesson for uh, today.